0: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Christmas carol to my Andy Carol. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm uh, I'm very good,
1: thank you. I'm I'm, I'm fresh off the back of a, a big win this morning, Sunday League. Got Man of the Match as well, I'm
0: buzzing. Yeah, you were saying you won 11-1, but yeah. you're not a striker. No. And you didn't score, but no. you still got Man of the Match.
1: Yeah, it's called... Uh... It's called engine room. That's what that was. I was, I was like Cafu this morning. I was, I was unbelievable down the right side.
0: I think there needs to be a review of the man <laughs> of the match system in your team because I'm not really sure how that works. Uh, also here today is Tom Morgan from the Swansea YouTube channel, Total Swans TV. Tom, are you okay? Uh, I'm
2: okay. Not too bad. Thanks, guys. Um, I suppose we've got a good thing, few things to talk about. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm
0: doing all right. I'm good. Thanks good to hear good to hear well we were also meant to be joined by louis who's from the baggies podcast but in the last few minutes he's just messaged me to say he's been locked outside of his house so Mm. he won't be joining us today unfortunately ladies and gentlemen instead justin you're going to have to pretend to be a west brom fan for the first bit of this podcast is that all right with you
1: yeah i can do it i can i mean it's not going to be good news is it west brom didn't play particularly well so i look forward to it So all put
0: on a black country accent while you're here as well and I'm I sure don't want to absolutely so. no one <laughs> 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 welcome to the number one championship specific podcast the second tier ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us wherever you are we're going to run through all the games from the past weekend in the championship talk about some of the news from the past few days and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end as well so we'll begin with the game from Friday night it was West Brom against Forest and it finished nil-nil Justin as a big West Brom fan and having watched this. This game. Um, I found it difficult to say either team deserved three points here. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would say that the draw was definitely the um, fair result. I think both teams struggled to carve out really good chances. It was for saying there were two really good teams on show, there was much quality uh, on show. You look at the likes of Dean Garner, Sinkenagel for, for either side they really struggled to to get going in the game i thought that the better players were probably the defenders drew warrell was was fantastic matt clark was was fantastic yeah it was quite an even game but um yeah draw definitely the fair result
0: yeah well i thought the whole thing was quite flat really the yeah. only real memorable chance was that jordan Hugo won right at the death mm-hmm. but it is now four games without a win for west brom and there's a lot of frustration around the baggy's fan base at the moment, isn't there? And it mostly seems to be aimed at Valerie and Ishmael as a West Brom fan, Justin. Why is that? I I do have sympathy with Ishmael. I I think that um
1: Valball, as as was uh, baggys fans like to coin it, um <clears throat> <laughs> uh, it's not it's not so easy on the eye at times. Um I, I can understand the frustrations from, from uh from supporters, but um, the amount of chances that are being created and not being taken, granted quite a lot of them are half chances. um you've got to say you've got to point the finger at players sometimes as well. Um, and the players do have to improve massively,
0: especially in that final third because it they leave a lot to be desired, especially over the last four games. Well, that's what I was gonna ask as the next question because Jordan Hugel seems to be getting a lot of stick from West Brom fans. but for me, that seems a bit unfair because every forward at the club bar Carlin grants, has underperformed so far this season, haven't they? I mean, Robinson started all right, um, then he's faded away a bit. Then you've got the likes of Dean Garner, Phillips. These players, none of them have really hit form, really, have they?
1: Yeah, there's been like a couple of game spells where you think, okay, right, they, they, they've turned it around, they're, they're going to get going now. And then they just they fall quite flat and they've relied so heavily on Carlin Grant scoring goals. And you can see when he doesn't put them away, they really struggle to, um, to win games. You know, they, they can do a lot more from set pieces as well. I think that, that the throw-ins were so um, vital for West Brom in the early stages of the season. They seem to have sort of dropped off a little bit creative, creative-wise. creative But as you quite rightly say, the likes of Robinson, Phillips, Dean Garner, not really pulling up any trees at the moment. And that's the frustrating thing because they've got a talented forward line and it's just not working.
0: Hmm. Well, it says a lot when they're relying mostly on Carn and Grant or set pieces for goals, really, aren't mm-hmm. they? The goals aren't really coming from anywhere else, so it's something that needs to change for West Brom. And um, obviously, they're struggling for the results at the moment, and. As we've said in the past, things could get worse if they don't start picking up more results and, more importantly, scoring more goals. Actually, that's not more importantly than getting results, but you get what I mean. <laughs> um, taking off your West Brom hat for a second then, Justin, on Forest, uh, points, a good result here, isn't it? I don't think anyone's disputing that, but it is now five draws in six games. They need to start winning them if they're going to climb the table, aren't they?
1: quite right it is it is a, a good result on paper but you think you know West Brom going down to 10 men not taking the chances it should give Forrest the 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 onus but I think I think at times it looks like there are some bad traits left over from the Chris Hughton era um, and you can tell that Steve Cooper's working really hard to iron them out I mean he he didn't necessarily lay into the players at, um in his post match press conference but he was very critical of how how forest played um and they did lack quality going forwards uh, as cooper pointed out and it's it's something that needs to be addressed quickly because although they're not losing games um, they're not necessarily pulling up any trees either
0: Let's move on to a crazy game at the Liberty Stadium. Reading beat Swansea 3-2. Both times Swansea scored, they conceded immediately afterwards. Andy Cowell scored his first goal in a Reading shirt. Danny Drinkwater scored his first goal in four years. And Ryan Manning scored a volley from outside of the box with his weaker foot. Most importantly, though, Tom, Swansea lost a game that really they should have won, shouldn't they?
2: Um, Yeah, I think so. Especially, you know, watching the game live, uh, looking back at the stats, watching the highlights. Swans certainly uh, created more of the, you know, clear-cut opportunities in front of the goal. Um, Dominated possession again, uh, dominant, you know, passing around the pitch as we've been doing for many teams, playing them off the park. But it's, yeah, uh, complacency after scoring. Um, Swans have sort of made it a tendency as of late to grab an early goal in games, um, which sort of a few, sort of like a few months back, it was sort of, we were conceding those early goals early on. Um, We've now turned that around, get grabbing the early goal. But for some reason uh, on Saturday, yeah, just a complete lack of discipline uh, after scoring. But yeah, uh, unfortunate to lose. Uh, As I say, you can't win them all. But yesterday was probably um, maybe an unfair result uh, as the game was going on. You know, would have been happy with the draw. But yeah, there's enough enough opportunities in yesterday's game to, uh, to to secure the win. But yeah, just lack of discipline and a bit of complacency after after scoring those those early goals in either half pretty much cost us the game.
0: Yeah. Well in the week that we saw Russell Martin ball at its finest in the Barnsley game where they were just keeping the ball for fun. <laughs> This game kind of saw the other side of that didn't it because two of the goals came from swansea trying to play it out from the back and is that kind of a sign do you think that the players are still getting to grips with the system that buswell martin wants to play and it's not the complete article yet
2: yeah it's definitely a a work in progress um since day one he's come in and said trust the process you know it's not going to be an overnight um success even though it you know it has been in certain matches as you say that barnsley game Uh, 800 and I think 16 successful passes looking at yesterday's stats it was over 700 successful passes um so in those two games alone you're you're talking 15-1600 passes successfully which most teams are going to take six or seven games to sort of reach those those stats but possession and pretty football doesn't always win you games um you know with Steve Cooper last season it wasn't the most attractive football um but we were picking up results and we were you know higher up the table but fans just have to be patient with it, just like the, the players themselves. And mistakes are going to get made. It is going to take us time. Um, it'll be interesting to see what can happen uh, in, the, in the turn of the new year. Hopefully by then, you know, busy period coming up now in December. Hopefully uh, come January, those players will be ready and settled with that this sort of style of play.
0: Mm. Justin, Andy Carroll stole the headlines here with a wonderful goal. Let's not take anything away from that. I mean, the touch... The run afterwards, the finish—it's all very impressive from a striker who, just impeached Pete said not long ago, was all head. Um, but he looked very good <laughs> here, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He really impressed
1: me. I think I've seen some Reading fans describe him as a as a flat track bully at this level, and he he, he was uh, he was that. He epitomises um, everything Reading need to do at the moment—that's fighting for every point. Um, and he lasted far longer in the game than, than I thought he would. So it's uh, credit to him for for managing through that. And um, yeah, the, the more he's on form, I think the, the more he's going to get out the players that are around him because he's he's not just uh, all head, as I may have described. He's got good hold-up play. He can bring the ball down and bring other players into the game. And for some reason, he, he had a burst of pace in this game, which got him the goal, which was well taken. But no, never seen upside. that before from Andy Carroll.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting to see a 32-year-old Andy Carroll who's had a history of injuries mm. outpacing a 22-year-old centre-back. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave that there. Yeah. Um, his goal <laughs> celebration afterwards was very good as well, doing a team-rowing sort of thing. I'm always up for anything like that. But just finally, Tom, since the second international break, only three teams have picked up more points than Swansea. Despite this result, how are you feeling about finishing in the top six this season? Um, I think the
2: possibility is there, for sure. Um, you know, like I said, we, we are lacking um, a replacement goal scorer when so at, top, at the top end of the pitch. But, I mean, I, I haven't really set us any expectations this year. I think like many Swansea fans, a transition season, um, I'd be happy with the top 10, you know, get as long as we can hold on to Russell Martin and the backroom staff to then build on that next season. Uh, I think that would be, quite a successful uh campaign for the swans but yeah who knows plenty of football still to play it's it's going in the right direction you know at the start of the season we had just be honest a bit of a, a bit of a crap start to the to the to the year um and we were down the wrong end of the table now we're in the top 10 so it, it's, it would be interesting to see um where this team can go under this uh coaching coaching team
0: interesting Thank you, Tom. We'll come back to you later to play Sammy Grayson's Hateful Eight. But for now, me and Justin are going to go around the grounds and we'll begin things at the MKM Stadium where we saw the Tigers play the Lions and it was the Tigers who came out on top and no one can stop Hull at the moment. They beat Millwall 2-1. The fourth win in a row at Northgreaves is from the To Hull and Back podcast and it's another good win
3: for the Tigers Ant. Did you think you deserved it? Yeah, we did deserve the win. Um, it's strange how The changing system to the 3-5-2 that we've been crying out for months all of a sudden has resulted in four wins in a row. Um, I think the most frustrating thing is for us fans at the minute is that he seemed to only choose that system when we had to because of injuries. So um, for him to actually now have players available to change back to the 4-3-3 and him still choosing to use a 3-5-2 was a welcome surprise and obviously we're reaping the benefits for it we look so much better in it so much stronger um, smallwood gets more protection from the, the from the back three uh, bernard and Greaves look fantastic as progressive ball playing defenders that come out of the defense and try and get us on the front foot uh, klp and longman have been absolute revelations as wing backs you know we look dangerous uh, we look like we're actually going to create chances and score goals so yeah it's brilliant yeah the tactical switch i can't remember the last
0: time something like this has happened and worked as well as it has done because Four wins in a row after looking, previously, pretty terrible. It's absolutely remarkable and as it goes on, you must be feeling pretty confident about your chances
3: of staying up. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird because the, the majority of the fan base has actually been pining for this uh, three at the back system. Uh, we, just with the players that we've got, it seems to suit us more. Um, we, the 4-3-3 leaves us too exposed at this level. We um, we we could we could we was all right using it in League One when we could give Wilkes and KLP more freedom to kind of just stay up front and not have to track back but in this league there's too much quality to be able to do that and teams were just opening us up and we weren't really creating chances. Um, so the three at the back kind of lets us play out from the back easier with Greaves and Bernard being more of the ball playing centre hours that like to come up to the pitch and bring the ball with them, small wood covers, uh, KLP and uh, Longman are just energy down the flanks and creativity. Uh, and then you've got Doherty and Honeyman, who just, uh, back to last season, the best have just been absolute box-to-box dynamos. So it gives us that energy, it gives us that structure, and it gives us that platform to create chances from. I think maybe one more striker uh, who can score goals by January and we will be fine this season.
0: Yeah, but the crazy thing is, Grant McCann's job isn't still 100% safe, is it? Because of the prospective new owner who has said in the past that he wants the club to be made up of Turkish people. Now, he's meant to be taking over in the next few weeks. But as someone who's a Hull fan and close to the club, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think that whatever happens, Grant McCann's days are numbered? Or do you think this run could save him?
3: Yeah, it's definitely a contentious topic at the minute. Um, A lot of fans can't forgive him for the the first relegation from the Championship. Um, And then last season with us winning the title was when we didn't have fans in the stadium. So we don't have that connection with the team or the manager themselves. So then we've come back to games and we've started struggling again this season. Um, For me, I wanted him gone. Um, But if you can stick with this system for the rest of the season and try and get the best out of our players to show some tactical depth rather than this stubborn my way is going to work um, system that he's been doing since the beginning of this season definitely um, then yeah I'm, I'm more than willing to give him a go under new ownership um, in regards to the Turkish um, it, it takeover I think it's, it's been taken out of context a little I think what he said he doesn't want to just bring in like an absolute truckload of Turkish staff and players I think he just uses us as, a, as an opportunity to bring more Turkish players if they have the chance to. Thank you,
0: Ant. Yeah, just following on from what I was saying there, Justin, I can't remember a tactical switch working as well as this has done because Hull looked dreadful in the majority of the first 16 games of the season, didn't they, when they were playing a 4-3-3? They moved to a 3-5-2 and now they look a completely different side, don't they?
1: It seems there's a lot more balance and it, and it fares a lot better to them. Obviously, they've got the extra man up front, which is great for... Um, putting balls into the box, they've got the width with the wing-backs um, and they've got the defensive stability with the three centre-halves as well and they've got energy in midfield um, and yeah, you're quite right, it is, it is working wonders for them and I, w- I don't know if it's had a 100% record so far this season but they've certainly won more games with this formation than they have with the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-3-3, whichever Grant McCann would favour on, on any given day. So yeah, it's, it's working wonders for them. They look a lot more threatening, they look a lot more sturdy as well so long may it continue for... for, for the 3 5 2.
0: Yeah, long may it continue for the 3 5 2. Long may it continue for Grant McCann. What happens when the takeover is complete is going to be really interesting, isn't it? As I was just saying to Ants, because the prospective new owner saying he wants the club to be made up of Turkish people obviously insinuates Grant McCann hasn't got long left, but there's not much more he could have done in the past few weeks to keep his job, is there? And if he continues to win, then. It's only going to make the decision even more controversial because a change of manager when things are going well could turn everything on its head, couldn't it? So we'll definitely keep talking about that until the takeover actually happens. But Hull up to 19th now and five points clear of the bottom three. Millwall without a win in four. Same old story for them, really, Into Every time they look like mounting a playoff push, they fade away back into mid-table. They'll probably start looking good again in a few weeks' time. But then <laughs> the same thing will happen again and we'll just keep going through this process, Justin.
1: It's frustrating, isn't it? They, they're just knocking on the door of the playoffs and then as soon as someone walks towards the door, i.e. the playoffs, they, they get giddy and scared and run away. It's it's really frustrating. And I think the issue at the moment is not keeping clean sheets. Clean sheets as, uh, as any sort of dinosaurish manager will tell you they win your games um they do win your games and Millwall are giving goals away at the moment and they're, they're really struggling defensively as as well as going forwards and creating an abundance of chances for, for forwards to put away but yeah they're
0: a hard side to put your finger on because as you say they're up and down up and down it's really frustrating it really is and Jed Wallace hasn't really hit the heights that he has done in previous seasons and we've spoken plenty of times over the past couple of seasons about how much they rely on him for creativity going forward. So, yeah, plenty of problems, unfortunately, for Millwall. And they're just lacking a, a, probably three or four good players, aren't they, from being yeah. a playoff side. Um, but until then, they're just going to continue being this mid-table side who sometimes threaten the playoffs, but ultimately don't. This Sunday lunchtime, it was Sheffield United 2 Bristol City 0. Paul Heckingbottom's first game in charge of the Blades since taken over from Silesia Canovic in midweek. Johnny Gascoigne is from the Sheffield United YouTube channel, The Shoreham View. Johnny, what did you make of Paul Heckingbottom's first game in charge?
4: Yeah, massive improvement to what we've been used to. Going forward, winning second balls, actually throwing some intent in the game not just passing backwards and keeping possession in a own half. I'll be honest with you, it looks like the players are happier. It, I don't think that they were happy playing the way they were, so this has been an improvement for them as well. And, of course, Bruce again on the score sheet is the icing on the cake. I would like to point out that Bristol aren't exactly the best team we've played all season, to put it lightly, but you can only beat what's put in front of you, and those are the kind of games recently we've been drawing one all and losing. So I'm very happy.
0: Yeah, it's very hard to disagree with what you've just said there. Uh, let's talk about Slavisi Jukanovic to Paul Heckingbottom then.
4: What was your reaction
0: to the news of Jukanovic's sacking in the week?
4: I'll be honest, I'm not going to be crying into a Serbian flag and I'm not that upset to see him go. I, I think he's a manager that requires his own players. I am unhappy that he were obviously lied to, told he was going to have something to spend, when obviously he was never going to have that. Uh, I think the board used him, if I'm honest, to get season ticket sales done. When in reality, they want a deck bottom from the start because he can get more out of what's available to him on the pitch. Now, am I disappointed we never got to see full Slav in action? Yeah, of course I am. He has a good track record when he's allowed to bring his own players in. If we're going to stick with the same squad we've got, then... I think probably seeing the back of him was the best decision. I just don't like the way the big merry-go-round we've had to go on to do it, and we've got less money for players now because we've had to pay off another manager. It just seems very counterproductive when we, if this was the plan, to stick with Ekinbottom Bottom from the from the end of last season. I, I do think Slav is a better manager than what we saw at Sheffield United, but with what he had available and what he was playing, it, it was never going to get any success. So.
0: Yeah, and he's obviously been replaced with Paul Heckingbottom. I've seen many opposition fans taking the mickey out of Sheffield United for what they see as a uh, a downgrade from Jukanovic to Heckingbottom. But what have the fans of Sheffield United made of it? And are you now more confident of having a positive end to the season with Heckingbottom in charge?
4: In all honesty, quite a few fans aren't happy that we've got Heckingbottom in, but the vast majority are willing to give him a chance and get behind him, I think. and. Let's be honest with you, he was in the Premier League last year with a squad that didn't have the capability to stay up and he ground out a few results, he got that win at Everton. He's been brilliant for the under-23s. So you've got to give him a chance and I think he possibly can surprise a lot of people, especially from other clubs. As far as Blades fans goes, I think a majority of us are behind him. you got to wait and see, really. It's, it's the old waiting game now.
0: Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, Justin, a, a rather one-sided game, actually. Want it probably, <laughs> and controversially, probably going to be Sheffield United's best performance of the season so far. It's hard to argue against it, isn't it? I think, um, I think,
1: firstly, that the personnel that they put out uh, and the formation they played suits this group of players down to the bone. Um, so credit to, to Paul Heckingbottom for that. I think McGoldrick and Gibbs White is sort of two number tens, but. With licence to Rome, I think they, they supported Rian Brewster up front. An, and then obviously the wing-backs provided. Steven's got an assist as well today. It just looked a, f- a lot more organised, a lot more better from Sheffield United, which they I well I
0: haven't been able to say about them for pretty much all season, actually. Yeah, well, I completely agree. They looked much more functional. I think, given Gibbs-White, licence to Rome just behind the striker is... His best position as a as side to that winger position. And when you're actually playing the ball around and getting the ball into his feet, that helps as well. Because you want him on the ball as much as possible. But Sheffield United dominated possession here, dominated the game. Bristol City barely had a sniff all day. And I, I don't think Bristol City's marking was particularly fantastic for that Brewster goal they Sheffield United were kind of just allowed to just play through them and give Brewster all the time in, in the world to just turn and shoot so that was a bit odd in that respect but we'll talk a bit more about Heckingbottom and his appointment a bit later on Justin but this was a really promising first game in charge for them and um, And as you say, the the players playing in the positions that they were looked a lot more like uh, the Chris Wilder team that we saw when they got promoted a few seasons ago now. So, yeah, positive signs here. Uh, Bristol City just hovering above the relegation zone. So, a few concerns for them, but uh, I don't think many people are expecting them to... Get a result here considering their away form has been a bit topsy-turvy at times this season. There was a hell of a lot of controversy at Deepdale on Saturday lunchtime. Preston drew one all with Fulham. The major talking point was Preston's equaliser through Chad Evans. The ball's played in. Evans plays it against Emil Rees Jakobsen's arm. Then it hits Evans's arm and I think it may have hit another arm before actually going in. So at least three handball claims. Justin, what did you think of this one? I think the first thing I'll say about this game is I
1: felt cold watching it. Um, it, just, it it's just windy and it looked Did cold. Did you have the heating on? or I didn't actually. I didn't help, but I don't think the game helped either. It was very, very cold. It looked cold. Um, but yeah, as for the handball, I I don't know. I I, th- I feel like I need to see several more replays because I don't know where the, the rule is when it comes to... Because he, Jakobsen stopped the ball with his hand from going in. Um, or with his arm, I don't think Chad Evans handballed it. I think it's come off his upper arm. I think that'd be unfair to to give to give that. Um, yeah, because I'm definitely handballed it, but I don't know where the 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 rule comes in, whether or not he stopped it from. Well, he did stop it from going in where it impacts. It's all very strange. I, I'm really unsure about that one.
0: I'm not sure what the handball rules are anymore because they got yeah. changed, didn't they? A, a couple of seasons and changed together. again. And they've been changed again. So now I'm not really sure what the actual rules are. But in my definition of handball, this is handball. Because yes. it's more of a handball every time I see it as well. If we're talking about unnatural positions of arms, then Emil Ruiz arm is so far out that it's got to be handball. He's, he's, his arm's there hits him there it's a good save
1: it's a good save it's a
0: very good save from him but something that's not talked about as well by the way is the fact that Jakobsen is also offside because he's on the goal line and there's no one there who's deeper than him so there's three handballs there and an offside in that Mm. one goal alone so something's got to be called back but yeah it's definitely handball for me anyone who is denying that it's handball I think is probably going to be a Preston fan because I can't see how (laughs) else it can be uh, not a handball unless the rules have changed now. And I just don't understand the handball rule. But uh, that is a distinct possibility, really. And there was another controversial decision earlier in the game. Anthony Robinson only got a yellow for a tackle on Tom Barkhazen, which he had to go off injured for. What do you think of that one, Justin?
1: When I saw it, I I agreed it was a yellow. But when Alex Neal broke it down in the... um... Uh, with his punditry I thought he made a really good point that he's second to the ball he's gone through the man to get the ball and obviously he scissored Barkhausen as well so on that basis I would deem that a red card I think Robinson's got away with one there
0: yeah it's a red for me as well I think it's reckless it was a bit of a scissors tackle wasn't it and then he was two feet in the air as well I'm not surprised Barkhausen has gone off injured because it was a really nasty one and I'm surprised really the referee didn't see it as a red because that's as reckless a tackle as it gets from that sort of angle. So, yeah, Preston, they didn't get the rub of the green for this particular decision, but obviously got it later on. And the same could be said about Fulham and vice versa. Um, but then looking at the game as a whole, just in Fulham weren't great really, were they? Preston deserved at least a point, I thought.
1: Yeah, I was, I was really impressed with Preston. I thought they they took it physically to Fulham in the second half. And I don't think Fulham particularly coped with it. Um, Ali McCann was winning second balls all over the place. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, he started a lot of the attacks for for pressing, picking up loose balls, and and um, yeah, winning possession and getting the ball distributed. Um, and then going up to Chad Evans, I think he changed the game for Preston. As I say, that physicality helped a lot from Fulham's perspective. You can tell there's illness running through the camp because, as he, as you pointed
0: out, just a lot of players didn't look anywhere near the racist uh, against uh, against Preston. No, they really didn't. They really didn't. But with Fulham drawing, it gave Bournemouth the chance to go back to the top of the table, and they were two up against Coventry, seemingly cruising. But then Jefferson Lerma was sent off after sixty-eight minutes, and it changed the game. Coventry scored two late goals to nick a points. First off, I'm going to assume there's no argument about this red card, is there?
1: Um, I I don't think there is. I um again, it's the uh, the rule of law Where if, uh, you know, if he makes a, an actual uh, an actual attempt for the ball, is it a straight red? Um, but then that's the double jeopardy one. I don't think that actually matters. I think yeah, it's a red card. I feel sorry for Lerma though because he's been sold down the river by Jack Stacey, hasn't he with that hospital ball?
0: Oh, I th- thought it was a red card because he was the last man. That's why I thought he was sent off. Unless,
1: yeah, no, I'm no. getting mixed up with. No, I'm getting mixed up with the double jeopardy because obviously if it's a penalty, then it's just a yellow card. But his last man. It's a, out of the box. It's a free kick. It's a red. Yeah, you're right.
0: Right. Okay, I see what you mean. Um, how frustrating. <laughs> would you have been, Justin, if you were Scott Parker? Because, as I say, Bournemouth looked to have this in the bag, really, didn't they, until that sending off? Yeah, you were quite right. he said um, before we went
1: into the red card, they were cruising. It was going to be, uh, you know, I wouldn't say walk in the park, but a standard 2-0 win for Bournemouth they've done that a lot of times this season but the red card changed the game um and and Coventry got the tails up so you've got to credit Coventry but I think Bournemouth's defending for both of the goals was really really poor um Steve Cook I think that was a loose header for the for the equaliser from Todd Kane as well um you could tell they missed Gary Cahill uh I think that ex- I think his
0: experience Bournemouth probably see that out well they were playing Lerma at centre-half in mm-hmm. the back three which was a an interesting move, but uh, yeah, someone having... Obviously, Gary Cahill's been absolutely fantastic for Bournemouth this season, and you're going to miss someone of his quality and experience. But the two goals scored, um, two of them were from crosses, which is not something you see every day. Jade and Anthony got one of them, but also picked up a lovely assist for the second goal. As crosses go... That was a really, really good cross, and he had a really good game. But it has been a bit of a shaky week for the top two, hasn't it? They've only won the one game between them. They're quite lucky, though, that there aren't a whole host of teams eagerly chasing them down, are there? The only top-half team who won this weekend was Blackburn. As things stand, do you still see Bournemouth and Fulham as the top two come the end of the season, Justin?
1: Yeah, you, you look at the Fulham game. Um, I think if they're, they've they got a fully fit squad, they, they win that. And uh, you go to the Bournemouth game, I think if they don't go down to 10 men, I think if they've got Gary Cahill, they see the game out. So I think those variables did really help the, the two sides. But as you say, it's a little wobble for, for both of them. But I think they're learning more about their squads in these little um, poor performances or, or not getting three points and they would be just winning every game.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think these managers, they'll learn more about their teams now that they're having sticky patches. Bournemouth Mm -hmm. haven't really had a sticky patch at all so far this season, have they? Until now, Fulham had uh, an even stickier patch than the sticky patch they're in now earlier on in the season. And it's going to happen, isn't it? But I still think these two are by far the best in the division in terms of the players they've got, the resources they've got, and the fact that their managers are pretty settled on how they're going to play and what their best team is. So, yeah, I still these I still see these two as the top two. I think they are blips that they're going through now. It'll only be a matter of time before they get back on the ball and probably end up running away with the automatic promotion places as the season goes on. Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about Blackburn's win against Stoke and then a massive game at the bottom of the table where the highlight was the lights going out. Welcome back to the second-tier podcast. As I mentioned just before the break, Blackburn were the only team in the top half at the start of the weekends to win this weekend. They beat Stoke 1-0. A game of few chances, but a beautiful goal by Rader Justin. Yeah, it was a
1: lovely goal, wasn't it? I think Blackburn obviously forced Stoke into into the turnover and possession, uh, regained it, and um, Kadra's running through, and, and, and rifles one into the bottom corner. A little bit of luck, I guess, with the, the ball falling to the uh, ball falling to them but nonetheless it's a great finish and a really good away performance from Blackburn I was really impressed with them in this game because they don't have the best away records but they they ground this one out against the Stokeside who played pretty well in midweek despite defeat
0: Yeah well three games uh, three wins from four games I should say for Blackburn now only Fulham have picked up more points than them in the last six games and they've snuck up to fourth in the table which seems to have come out of absolutely nowhere Question is Justin can you see them staying there?
1: Well Yes, I, I, I can, but I can also see them falling away. If that makes sense, they're not a team that have over the years have, have convinced me. They went through a really sticky patch in the middle of the season last season, where I think they won two or three games in in, in twenty wasn't the best. Um, but if they can get through sort of uh, December uh, and January and still being in around the top six, then I do fancy them. Um, but as well as that, it's also keeping older players. They've got a lot of players out of contract at the end of the season. Keeping older them in January is is imperative.
0: Yeah, well, it's a really good point whether Blackburn decides to cash in on some of the players they've got now or just lose them for free in the summer is going to be really interesting next month. Or in January, it's not December yet. Um, But I think there are teams who are better suited to finishing in the top six than them, if I'm being brutally honest. We've seen plenty of times in the last two seasons where Blackburn have mounted somewhat of a playoff push, but then it fades away soon after and come the end of the season, not even in the conversation. So it wouldn't surprise me if that happens again. I also think they're not great at the back and you only have to look at the underlying data to see that as the case. So if I'm being honest, I'd be surprised if Blackburn were still in the top six come the end of the season. I'm sceptical to say at the very least. That's not to say they're not a good side, though, because obviously Ben and Diaz is the man who's been stealing the headlines, but John Buckley has also been consistently brilliant for them. Harry Pickering is someone I like at left wing back. Joe Rothwell has shown in spells he's a very talented player. And Thomas Kaminski is one of the best keepers in the league for my money. And I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Blackburn and would love to see them (laughs) um, having a good crack at going up. But unfortunately, my head says no. But to be fair, you've got to give a lot of credit to Tony Mowbray for the job that he's doing at Blackburn over the past few years. You've got to remember, they were in League One not long ago, were they? Mm -hmm. And now the fact that we've been talking about them as a team who could finish in or around the playoffs is, you know, you've got to take your hat off to the progress that he's made in the time that he's been there. Back-to-back defeats for Stoke and I thought this was actually a very lacklustre performance, Justin.
1: Yeah, as I say, I, I thought Blackburn were the better side and deserved the three points. They created the better chances um, or, or the better openings, and Stoke looked a bit flat. Um, you look at the goal as well. Ben Wilmot, I think he just kicks it against one of the players, Blackburn, Blackburn players, quite lazily, um, and it falls to falls to them, and they and they run on it and uh, and score. Um, yeah, quite a, quite a flat performance, especially after what should have been three points in midweek. I think you're
0: really disappointed seeing that as a Stoke fan. You, you look at that back three now, and earlier in the season, it was Ostergaard, Suter and Wilmot. We were talking about it as one of the best back threes in the division. Mm. Suter's obviously injured now, probably out for the rest of the season. Ostergaard's had a drop in form, and the only player who remains from that back three was Ben Wilmot. And beside him, he's got Danny Bat and James Chester. James Chester did not have a great game yesterday and then Danny Bat is someone whose best years are behind him so you're, you're looking at it and it, it's unfortunate to see because I was really liking the look of this Stoke side but now I am starting to fear the worst unfortunately they've got three tricky games coming up as well QPR, Middlesbrough and Coventry they're seventh now if they come out of the other side of those games winless then you're fearing the worst and by the worst I mean not being in the top <laughs> six this season just for clarification not, not um, quite the worst but still bad yeah, yeah still not great considering what <laughs> many people are expecting them to do at the start of the season or at least have the first few games of the season but uh, it, it's, it's irritating because Stoke were looking really good other circumstances have changed and now I'm not really sure where they're going to finish come the end of the season Um there was a massive game at the bottom of the table, Justin, 22nd against 23rd as Peterborough played Barnsley. Now, you might be saying, well, if this game was so massive, how come it's so far down in your running order? Well, that's because the most exciting thing to happen was the lights going off. Yes, that right. There was a power cut 10 minutes before full time. The game finished 0-0 and when the lights were on, this game was a really poor game of football, Justin. Yes,
1: yeah, just... Not pretty at all, was it? Those half chances here and there, and that's about it. Um, I think you could tell the players lack confidence. Um, I think as Bargy said that they want to build from a a solid platform, which is fair enough. But you've got to try and excite uh, and convince fans some way, and they just didn't do that. And obviously Peterborough as well looked really poor after. Um, yeah, they had an upturning form at home. Just
0: yeah, not a nice game at all. No, not at all. And the thing is, with Hull's winning streak, it meant these two teams were being cut adrift in the bottom three. And the worst possible result for both of them would be a draw. So I thought maybe it might be a bit more open, but it really wasn't. And the football was terrible at times. There were barely any chances. Ordinarily, a game like this would be last in our running order. But this was a big game. Someone should have mm-hmm. told the players. Um your first points as, as Barnsley boss in his second game in charge. Anything to say on him so far? Clean sheet. Thumbs up. Um, as,
1: as I said, solid platform to build on, but you can't really take too much away from the game. They were really poor going forward, as were Peterborough. So, we'll, yeah, remains to be seen.
0: Yeah. But well, they've had two games now and been dominated in possession twice and have created absolutely nothing in the last two games, so I'll hold fire for now, but I can't say I've seen much in the way of improvement. While we're here, actually, uh, this is completely unrelated, but Cardiff fans seem to think we've been praising Aspargi off off the scale. I I, I don't know where this has come from, because we haven't done oh, yeah. it at all. No, He's had two does. games in charge. I don't recall Zenner ever saying anything positive about him. I
1: was, I was perhaps a little bit more interested in his appointment than Steve Morrison's, but that's Genuinely down to his, um, his his history
0: as a, as a coach. It's just quite interesting. That was it. Yeah, mm, yeah. I, I don't really know where that's come from. But uh, the man in the other dugout, obviously Darren Ferguson, less said the better. Last week, they gave him a three-and-a-half-year contract. I said it was mental at the time. Peterborough fans came out the other end and said, I was wrong. And since then, they've picked up one point from three games and not scored a goal. So they're now four points from safety. Am I missing something? I get he's a bit of a legend at Peterborough, but I've said it before and I'll say it again. His record at championship level is bang average, Justin. I I just can't see Peterborough progressing as a football club with him in charge. And right now, I'll be surprised if they stay up because them and Barnsley have easily been the two worst teams in the division, haven't they? Some will say that they're overachieving considering the amount of money they've spent. Okay, I can understand that. But I think a better manager could still get more out of this side. Someone with... A fresh set of ideas, not someone whose best finish in five seasons at championship level is 18th. So I'm still yet to see why Peterborough fans love Darren Ferguson so much, apart from he's got them promoted from League One a few times. But apart from that, I really can't see it. Do you get what I mean?
1: I do get what I mean, but just, you know, right, leave it. Leave it out, right? It's fine. Leave it out. I'm,
0: I'm just saying what I'm thinking, Justin. This is a podcast. <laughs> and that's, that's the whole point of us being here, giving our thoughts. Um, I really don't get the obsession around Darren Ferguson at Peterborough. Um, Chris Wilder got his first win as Middlesbrough boss. They won 2-1 away at Huddersfield thanks to a double from Duncan Watmore. And that second one, Justin... Oh, that was a chef's kiss moment, wasn't it?
1: He had, he had no right to do that. Like the keeper's not even that far off his line, but uh, I think Watmore's only about 12, 13 yards away from goal himself. So for him to loft the ball over Nichols in, in the Huddersfield goal is uh, is audacious, uh, to say the very least. It was a cracking goal. And um, for saying he's not scored, I think it was what, nine games without a goal. I know he scored just before it, but for a player who's not been that good going for i say that good that productive going forward got a lot of confidence to pull that off
0: yeah well the the lob it's literally come down just under the bar like if you watch it again at that angle it's perfect. then it's it's only just missed the bar so it was the perfect lob but as you say someone like duncan watmore i think he only had one goal before this game and he's pulled off two beautiful goals here. It was mm. really impressive. But he's that kind of player, isn't he? He's He will show in spits and spats how talented he really is, but then he'll end up going a, a load of games without doing much. But uh, it's always nice to see when... Because uh, he, he's had a tough time with injury yeah. he, uh, over his career, but at Middlesbrough, he seems to really be finding his feet once again. And I thought Borough were good value for the win. Huddersfield struggled to cause too many problems for Luke Daniels, with the exception of the goal, which was... Just a bit weird, wasn't it? It pinballed around at a narrow angle before going in. Did it hit the post and going off Daniels? I, I can't really remember. Yeah, anyway, whatever the case, it was strange. But I thought a really impressive win for Huddersfield.
3: Yeah,
1: they did. Um, Middlesbrough, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's towards the end of the show. Um, no, I, I, was, I was really impressed with um, Wilderball, we'll coin it. Um, they managed the game well. It's something that they've not done in the previous two games. Um, obviously, they struggled to see the games out, but they controlled this one from a Huddersfield perspective. Didn't really offer much. Um, but that's down to Chris Wilder and his side really putting a performance in because this was yeah a much better performance than the previous two games.
0: Well, Huddersfield had won six of their nine games at home prior to this, and I've got to say that even though it is just the one win, there hasn't been a particularly obvious new manager bounce under Wilders so far, has there? But this was really good. They're now up to 12th, six points off the top six. If I was a Borough fan, Justin, I'd be buying that up a little bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, buy buy half season ticket. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a good second half of the season, definitely under Wilder, especially when you get to January, because you can tell they are missing a couple of players in a couple of positions. But that's a really encouraging performance from from Bur and uh, certainly look forward to seeing more.
0: Yeah, as I say, the first two games wasn't much to shout about, but if this is a sign of things to come, then Middlesbrough fans got plenty to be excited about. But three losses from four for Huddersfield now, they're They were really quite poor here, but they do play Barnsley next week, which may uh, get them back on track a bit. (laughs) It's time to rejoice, listener, because there was a miracle on Saturday. Cardiff scored a first-half goal up until this point. They had gone the whole season without one, but Ruben Colwell finally ended that hoodoo and it helped Cardiff on their way to a 2-1 win away at Luton. What do you think of this one, Justin? I actually thought this was Cardiff's best performance under Steve Morrison so far.
1: Yeah, I was really impressed with Cardiff. Um I think you go back to the goals. Um, I think it's really good movement from from Colwell. I think Collins and Colwell in support of Keith Moore worked really well as a front three. They managed Luton um quite well as well. The Luton are a side that created a lot of chances, but they didn't get too many uh, clear opportunities in this one. It was a really good performance from uh, from Cardiff. And they're playing to um player strengths, which I you know it's a really obvious um thing to say, but you know, it's all playing out from the back it's all good in that but if you're not creating opportunities it doesn't really count but they're putting balls into the box and um, and really playing as I say to the to, the, to play strengths because both goals came from uh, good crosses into the box
0: Yeah well I had a load of mouth foaming Cardiff fans in my Twitter mentions last night acting like they'd won the league we're just saying what we're we seeing and I still don't think Cardiff were great under Steve Morrison prior to this weekend despite some decent results but they were good here I'll give them full credit where it's due and I thought Perry NG was great at Right wing back. He's someone who Mick McCarthy seemed a bit hot and cold on at mm. times, but he's back in the side now. And they've got Ryan Giles at wing back as well, which I've always thought was his best position as opposed oh, to yeah. him playing in a front three, which McCarthy. Yeah kept trying to do for some reason they've got a tricky couple of games coming up and they're still hovering above the relegation zone so we won't get too carried away just yet Justin but as I say I think this was Cardiff's best performance under Steve Morrison so far Luton have only got the one point from their last four now they've dropped off after looking like a decent bet for the top six not too long ago we've bemoaned them missing plenty of chances but I thought this game wasn't one where they actually created too many really and Nathan Jones will be keen to get them back on track soon won't he?
1: Yeah, you you, yeah, you nailed it there. I think Cardiff managed the game really well, much better than Luton. Um, obviously, they 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 stopped Luton from creating too many clear cut chances. And when you're a team that are low on confidence in front of goal and you're only creating sort of half chances, it's going to be a struggle from there. But as you say, Luton just need to get their season back on track because they're a side that if they do start taking chances consistently, they can
0: hit the top six quite quite comfortably because they do create a lot of chances. They they really, really do and it's frustrating how many they miss per game because you expect them over the course of the season to put that right and start putting away the chances. Um, whether it's just a matter of time before that happens or whether they need to bring in... I don't know, another strike or something like that in January. We'll wait and see. But everything seems to be going right for Luton, apart from the goal-scoring bit. And unfortunately, <laughs> scoring goals is quite an important part of football. So uh, we'll, we'll see if uh, that does remedy itself. But it, Luton, a side who plays so well, they just don't get the results, which is the most frustrating thing for Luton fans, I imagine, and us as well. Podcasters for the championship. Uh, Birmingham v Blackpool finished one 0 thanks to a Lucas Jukovic goal. Not a classic by any means. Blackpool could, and actually maybe should have had a penalty. Ivan Sonjačan, Shane Lavery. He was lucky to get away with that one, wasn't he?
1: I thought Lavery's knee was sort of towards the floor as he was tripped, so I wouldn't have given it. I think he's, no, I think he's close three. to the floor. Justin,
0: d- that's a clear penalty for me. No,
1: no, I don't. I don't think it was
0: clear. I think, um, I think it was just a contact. I don't think it was enough for him to make him go down suit Yourself, uh, Birmingham have now kept the joint most clean sheets in the Championship. So the fact they're sat 13th, it's obvious where the problems lie isn't it. They've had a few injury problems to be fair, but they're one side in particular who I think are a bit desperate for January to come around, aren't
1: they? Yeah, they need they, 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 they definitely need a forward, and I think they need a creative midfielder as well. Um, obviously, with Chong being uh, injured, they need to bridge that gap somehow. And I don't think I think Djukovic is sort of winding down his career he's not been as prolific I mean that Shea Adams season was ridiculous but he's not really hit the heights since then Deeney useful Hogan hot and cold um, they they need a forward quite desperately I think if, if they get one in I uh,
0: quite fancy them to easily make the top 10 well, It's something we've said mo- millions of times isn't it you've got three strikers there who have each had 15 goal seasons at least under their belts but They're both, they all look a bit misfiring for Mm. Birmingham this season for some reason. So it's very curious as to why it's happening. But if you had to name a position where a a team needs to strengthen the most, you'd probably say Birmingham up front or someone in the kind of the Chung mould I suppose as well someone who can also put the ball in the back of the net because that was one aspect of Chung's game that let him down a bit as well so yeah Birmingham looking right forward to January coming round. I think Blackpool obviously a bit unlucky with the, the penalty not being given their way and the final game of this weekend is Derby against QPR which we can't talk about yet because it hasn't happened that's on Monday night so we'll discuss that game in Thursday's episode unless you've learned how to time travel Justin can you time travel? Well, I mean, just in from the future pops in every now and then. That
1: is technically time-travelling, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I suppose. In, in that way, can you tell us about this game then?
1: Um, yes, Derby win. Th-
0: <laughs> Derby win. Ha ha ha. Nil-nil draw. Uh, we'll, yep. we'll say that. A good nil-nil draw for both sides. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Paul Heckingbottom has been named the new boss at Sheffield United after Slavisa Kanovic left the club. It was, of course, the caretaker manager after Chris Wilder was sacked when they got relegated from the Premier League last season. Uh, just we spoke briefly about Jukanovic leaving in Thursday's episode, Paul Heckingbottom was appointed later in the day. So we didn't talk about that in Thursday's episode. But what's your reaction to Heck replacing Jock? <laughs> got there in. The end. Um I mean it's it's not
1: a Jankovic appointment is it it's not like oh wow yeah it's incredible. Um I think it's a safe pair of hands for the club. Um I, I do I do rate hacking bottom as a coach. I think that Leeds spell was perhaps unfortunate. I think he did a good job at Barnsley. Um but nonetheless he's he's in charge he's, he's we've seen him organise and play players in the positions that they should be playing in, um, which is a good start. Um, it's it's hopefully you get more of the same out of them, um, but I think it's a steady appointment nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I, I it, it's really difficult to say because obviously uh, Paul Eckenbottom got the results here, and we are speaking after that, so it's a bit more difficult to, you know, give an opinion <laughs> continuing they've just come back off a dominance two 0 win. Um but I, I kind of agree with you. I think Paul Heggy is one of those managers who gets a bit of a bad rep because of how one job went. Because when he was mm-hmm. at Barnsley before he did a fairly good job, didn't he? Um oh, yeah. before that unfortunate spell at Leeds. And then Sheffield United in the Premier League last season, I mean that was just a salvaging yeah. it's just a salvaging effort really want it and mm. just trying to do what you can when you know the club is already down really um but it, it is interesting that they've gone with Heckingbottom considering he was there last season um they clearly much prefer his style of play to what jukanovic was offering i mean jukanovic in the end was turned out to be a bit of a just a pairing that didn't work and yeah. it was clear Jukanovic didn't get on with the owners, whereas Heckingbottom clearly has a better relationship with the owners than Jukanovic. Interestingly, Sheffield United Chief Exec Stephen Bettis said that Heckingbottom won't be judged on results, he'll be judged on how good the football is, which is a interesting claim, Justin.
1: Yeah, it's a, it a bit of a disaster press conference, really. I felt a bit sorry for Hacking Bottom because it's not, <laughs> not not the best way to introduce a new manager. But, um, I mean, I pers- well, we're going to judge him on his results, aren't we? Because if, if Sheffield United yep. lose six in a row and they go down, um, yeah, that's not a good... At least good they're playing nice to- football, yeah. though, Just At least they're playing nice football, yeah. Who cares if they're buddy winning th- uh, losing 4-3, it's nice football. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird statement, and um, I think that sort of tells you...
0: Maybe a couple of the problems
1: behind the scenes at Sheffield United would make
0: you start to speculate about what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out Chris Wilder's sly dig that he gave in the (laughs) midweek press conference for Middlesbrough where he was saying he's working with people now who he actually agree with his way of working, so an uh, interesting uh, little quote from him, but yeah, Heckenbottom I, I'm interested to see how he does, I thought they were really good against Bristol City mm-hmm. Bristol City, not the best opposition in the world in fairness, but they looked a much more functional side, players were playing in the positions that I think they're probably best in, Um so we'll see, replacing Yukanovic with Heckenbottom, when you put it like that is, I think for most clubs, a massive downgrade, but I think Heckingbottom he clearly understands how the club works, whereas Jokanowicz probably didn't. Um, so best of luck to him. He's got a big old job on trying to salvage Sheffield United's season, but they're not miles away from the playoffs, so who knows? He's had a good start, so we'll see and keep an eye on that one just in The creation of an independent regulator for English football has been endorsed in principle by the government. The idea is the primary recommendation of a fan-led review of football governance. It's almost looking like this regulator, Justin, is almost definitely happening at this point, do you think?
1: I I certainly hope so. I think everyone's very confident that it is going to um, at least go to uh, government legislation, or at least will be considered um, and implemented. It it needs to happen. Everybody knows it, apart from the Premier League outfits. I saw Christian Perslow's interviews in midweek, which were absolutely horrendous, and it's everything that's wrong with the Premier League. If anyone's got time to watch those interviews and, and get angry, this one—a ten-minute spell of getting angry—then you know that's a that's a good interview to watch. But um, football needs it: um, redistribution of wealth, making sure clubs aren't you know being catastrophic to the, to themselves. It's all there. It's a really good, interesting read. Or if you find a summary of it, I'd probably recommend that because it's over one hundred and forty pages long. Yeah,
0: don't read the whole 140 pages. You probably won't understand it anyway because there's a lot of big words in there that I don't understand. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it needs to happen. Um, I, I think um, you're absolutely right. The redistribution of wealth is the big thing for me because the Premier League, the amount of money they've got compared to, you know, the rest of the football league is embarrassing, really. And it needs to be it needs to be shared out more equally, in my opinion. So yeah, that that's. Um, The main thing that I'm looking at, really, and the independent regulator will take all things into account. Maybe we'll see the end of parachute payments, for example. Um, We just need someone in charge who, you know, has just a clear mind and is just, as we say, independent. That is the key word here. yeah. Yeah, the key word, independent, because then they're doing the best Uh, what they think is the best for English football. They're not going to be biased by how much money is being thrown around. Um, Birmingham have failed to overturn the red card that Ryan Woods was given for that tackle in the Coventry game in the week still don't think that proves that it's not it's a, a red card. Red card. It's a here. red card. Derby suffered a trading loss of £1.2 million during their first eight weeks in administration. From the 22nd of September to the 19th of November, the club made just over £2 million in income, but spent £3.2 including £2.1 on wages. Now, I'm not a savvy businessman, Justin, but spending more on wages than you're getting in income isn't a clever way to run a business. It, it isn't, and um, there's roughly around 18
1: clubs in the Championship. You should probably email Ryan because they're all doing the same thing. It's not yeah. it's not good. and I mean, it just empathises what we were just saying about an independent regulator. Um, it makes more sense when you hear it like that. Derby were in administration, may be cutting back costs, but they're still making a loss, which
0: when you're in administration, is not good. Well, we mentioned 2.1 million on wages. This You've got to remember this is a a team now which is threadbare. you know yeah it's red bear as it is so think what it was not long ago when they had the likes of i don't know Darren Bent and Tom Ince on oh the wage God, bill yeah. as well scary. it's scary It'd be extortionate. it's devastating it's scary yeah the, the the amount of money they must have been spending on wages before compared to their actual income would have been uh, absolutely frightening um i mean even last season they stirred the likes of you know Waghorn and mm-hmm. what have you so yeah, it, it would have been absolutely frightening looking at the uh, money they've been spending. But as you say, they're not the only club who have been doing the same thing. Stoke wing-back Josh Timmon has signed a new deal, keeping him at the club until 2025, which is good news. I think he's someone who has been one really of the most improved players in the Championship this season. He's been really, really good for Stoke. Bristol City have triggered a one-year contract extension for midfielder Tariq Backinson. His deal was going to expire at the end of the season. And Luton replaced their usual shirt sponsor with a prostate cancer charity for their game against Cardiff to raise awareness for the disease. it has Mick Harford is receiving treatment after having the disease diagnosed in December. Justin, let's do some polls, shall we? This is the part of the show where we give our listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on them. The first question was this, and it's a bit of a harsh one, really. Who would you rather was manager of your club, Paul Heckingbottom or Slavisa Yukanovic?
1: Paul Hackingbottom, mainly because his Twitter <laughs> handle is incredible. It's P Hackingbottom, so it reads as fecking bottom. Um so yeah, all day Paul Hackingbottom.
0: I think most people would go for Yukanovic, in fairness, but eighty five percent of people did say Yukanovic. fifteen percent said Paul Hackingbottom. I wonder how many Sheffield United fans voted in that poll. <laughs> Will Blackburn finish in the top six this season? Yes or no? I would say no, but it was it's with an asterisk. They might do of course they might do. It's <laughs> very hard to give them a solid answer, isn't it, Blackburn? It's so up and down, but yeah. I'd say no. Um, Many before, well, we've spoken about it earlier. We don't need to go into in depth again about it again, Justin, but I think there are teams who are better suited to finishing in the top six, unfortunately. 74% said no. 26% yes, they will finish in the top six this season. And finally, is it too early to be listening to Christmas songs? Yes or no?
1: I think it is. Christmas decks are going up today, actually, as we as we record. They're going up after we, we record. But no Christmas songs, absolutely not. I, they're you terrible, waiting? tacky songs.
0: No, get, get, where is your Christmas spirit, Justin? Have I, uh, you I, never just put on Elton John's Step Into Christmas? That's an absolute mm, hit. Yeah, no, it's a banger, actually. Yeah, you are right. There, there are two
1: Christmas songs that I like. The Cavalry one, and uh, that's not even a Christmas song. And, um, yeah, mm. the Elton John. But other than that, they're all pretty average the Pogues? I tell you, Chris, Chris Kamara's got a swing Christmas album. It's actually very good. I'll got plug that. Hang on,
0: Pogues? You having the Pogues or...? No,
1: we, we have, I'm, what, 27? Heard it for the last 27 years. I'm over it now. You've heard
0: all the Christmas songs from the past 27 years. You exactly, they're so they're Christmas boring. Song. They're boring. Last Christmas, George Michael? Or I should say. No, no.
1: Sorry. It, does it not, not make you it.
0: feel all Christmassy inside?
1: No, watching Harry Potter does those weirdly. So. Why? It's just a Christmas. You just watch it every Christmas. I don't know. I feel like, I feel I like digress massively. I have. Don't
0: think I've ever watched Harry Potter at Christmas. It's the best time. Love. To watch Actually, you're you watching a bit of love. Actually, no, no. I was, yeah, I don't really watch Christmas films. God, right such either. a Scrooge. What about I'm Die Hard? Hard? Actually, well, yeah, we'll leave watch, this yeah, this, that, yeah. This has gone on for way too long. <laughs> now it's time for this. What
1: was the answer to the poll? <laughs> oh.
0: Um, the answer to the poll ladies and gentlemen 53% of people said yes it is too early to be listening to Christmas songs 47% said no right now it's time for this
3: hi Simon Grayson
0: so this is Simon Grayson's hateful eight Simon Grayson by the way lost his job at Fleetwood this week didn't he which is sad isn't it I'll tell you what I would love to get Simon Grayson on for a game of Simon <laughs> Grayson Take Filet. All my dreams would come true if that happens. But welcome back to the show, Tom Morgan from the Swansea YouTube channel, Total Swans TV. We were meant to have Louis from the Baggies podcast here with us today. But as I said earlier, he's locked himself outside of his house. So he won't be joining us. So what we'll do instead, chaps, for this is we'll give whoever gets one wrong first another life. So it's still you know, three cracks at uh, trying to get this right. So if you've never heard before, what I'm going to do here is ask the boys to name eight of a certain subject. And all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say, name the eight championship clubs nearest to Big Ben and Louis would say Millwall, that's one down. Tom would say Fulham, that's another down. But if Justin would say Middlesbrough, Then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. I'll be honest. I've done this quiz so many times over the past year and a bit that I'm now running out of ideas. So what I've done this week (laughs) is uh, a subject which has got nothing to do with the championship. (laughs) Can you name me the eight teams who have spent the most seasons in the Premier League but have never won the Premier League? Here's a clue. The minimum number of seasons these teams have had is fifteen. Middlesbrough played fifteen seasons, but are not included on this list because I needed it to be eight. So, Justin, we'll go to you first. Being a big West Brom fan,
1: Um, Jesus, this is actually a very difficult one. I don't want to take our our free go yet, Tom. So, um, yeah, get it right. I (laughs) (laughs) I did. It's very difficult. I can't even think of anyone. Um, Everton, really. Yeah, ever,
0: ever, yeah, <laughs> was say, surely that's yeah. obvious. They spent all 30 seasons in the Premier League, but the highest they finished is fourth. Tom, we'll go to you next. Southampton, Southampton is correct. They've had 23 seasons in the Premier League, but of course, have never won it. I think the finish, the highest they finished is about sixth. Justin, your go, Aston Villa. Yeah, Villa, 27 seasons in the Premier League. They finished second wow. in the very first Premier League season. Um, so you've got three down. Tom, it's your go again.
2: Uh, I'm going to go for the one of the prime
0: yo-yo clubs, Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle, 27 seasons in the Premier League. They did finish second twice in the 90s, but uh, have never won it. Um, you've got four to go, Justin.
1: Oh, I can't think of anyone now.
0: Um, Tom got through that really quick, which left me no time to think. I give... <laughs> <laughs> OK. Um, Sunderland. Sunderland have had 16 seasons in the Premier League. So they are correct. You're absolutely right there, Justin. You looked a bit nervous when you said mm. that one. Um, how many have we got left? We have got three left. Three. Tom, it's sure go again. Still got three lives. Uh, I'm going to take a bit of a risk with this one
2: oh no 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 um (laughs) that would have been such a stupid answer if i
0: just said i was gonna (laughs) say honest to god um hang on on. out of interest this won't count as your guess what were you gonna say
2: i was gonna say blackburn but then as soon as i went to say it i thought
0: (laughs) of course they've won the bloody (laughs) premier league (laughs) blackburn blackburn were the
2: first team that came to my head yeah and i was um, like okay no (laughs) they wouldn't (laughs) um crystal palace
0: crystal palace I've had 13 seasons in the Premier League. So you've lost your extra life. He's not out yet, Tom, but it's now sudden death. You've still got three to go, Justin. Sort of, we've fallen into like the really sort of clubs that have done absolutely nothing over the years. Um, And one of those is West Ham. Yeah, West Ham. 26 seasons in the Premier League. They once finished fifth, but that's as high as it's got for (laughs) them. You've got two left. Tom, I'm going to
2: follow on with that with another club that have done absolutely nothing Tottenham Hotspur.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering why you left (laughs) (laughs) this. Did you just completely forget about them? Yeah, Yeah. they spent all 30 seasons in the Premier League, (laughs) nearly won it when Leicester did, didn't they? But obviously, yeah, I've never actually won it. So you've got one left. Can you name the final club who has spent the most seasons in the Premier League but has never won it? 15 seasons. For this club. 15. So they're only on the periphery. Justin, it's your go.
1: It is. Uh periphery. Um have they ever been any good? Like have they ever like gone, oh you know, these might be close.
0: Mm-hmm. Or have they just
1: always been lower half?
0: Not close to winning it, if that's what you mean. Any sort of European football? I'm, I'm not I don't want to say Justin. That I'm, ah. I'm giving you too many clues as it is. You've got two lives left, just take a stab in the dark. It's very difficult. Um, Leeds. Leeds. I've had 14 seasons oh. in the Premier League. So you've yeah. just missed out. That is very unfortunate. Uh, so Justin's out. That means, Tom, it's down to this guess. Can you think of the team who spent the most seasons in the Premier League but never won it? Shot in the dark. Watford. It's not Watford. Mm. Watford. I don't have the number in front of me, but it's not even in double figures, so it's not <laughs> often, unfortunately. <laughs> the team you were looking for was Fulham. Oh. fifteen seasons. When you asked me about the question about Europe, Justin, I was like, "Yeah, how about that?" otherwise that might have given it away but uh, other close ones West Brom at 13 Bolton 13 Norwich 10 Stoke 10 uh, but it was Fulham the team you were looking for so you've fallen at the final hurdle gents Tom you look very disappointed right now
2: I am I am because Fulham is o- almost an obvious one I think they've they have been up there to say an awful lot I would have thought more than than West Brom uh, than, mm. uh, than Middlesbrough to be fair but obviously the same amount um Yeah, it didn't even cross
0: my mind. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. This rounds up another episode of the second tier. Thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back again on Thursday to preview the upcoming games in the Championship for next weekend. But a quick thank you to Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. Thank you for your time today, Tom. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure as always. Thank you, Louis, for your contribution to the show, Manly Joker. this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach.
4: Thank you for listening.